Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello and thank you ever so much for tuning into this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden and on this episode I'm joined by Ricardo Weber. So hey Ricardo, welcome to the show. Hi Toby. Good afternoon. So Ricardo, uh, I've known for many years now. Um, he worked for a major manufacturing and engineering firm, and he brought me in as a guest speaker for a program that he pioneered called Future Thinking, which is all about equipping people in the organization to become future leaders for the business. Uh, Ricardo then left that particular organization to go and work for another engineering firm and uh, I he either invited me or I followed him can't quite remember um, but the program was so successful in his previous place of work that he then implemented it again in his new uh, business where he was the head of uh, marketing and product development. Ricardo has now set up his own business which is called True Innovation and his business is all about uh, enabling organizations to increase their ability to innovate and uh, make strides and things like research and development and things like that. So it's a great pleasure to have Ricardo on the show um, because I love talking about innovation because I think diversity and inclusion really does help businesses to innovate and grow, hence the title of the show, Inclusive Growth. So Ricardo, it's great to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Toby. That was a really good introduction. I'm quite happy there. <laughs> thank you. I try my best. I try my best. Um, Ricardo, can you just tell us a bit more about your background? Um, you know, how, I suppose, a bit more about your career, what led you to set up Future Thinking, and, and why you've decided to set up your own business now? I mean, as you can tell from the name, um, I'm not the typical British, British person. I'm half Italian, half German. So quite diverse background already, and I've done an engineering and an MBA degree. Um, also quite diverse to what, what you usually would expect. So with a corporate career that I had in those engineering companies you mentioned, I always tried to simplify things, to take big chunks apart and make them easier to understand, which in itself, you could actually say, maybe this is already innovation, depends on how you see that. But one of my favorite quotes is the man who moved the mountain started with taking away small stones. I just love that. And this is kind of what, I, what I'm trying to do in my whole career as well. This is actually one of the reasons why I found a true innovation. So I realized in my career that what I really enjoyed the most was to develop new ideas and collaborate with other people, you know, like from different departments, different functions, different backgrounds. And, and I have this vision in my head now that leaders spending their working hours on truly innovating rather than doing KPIs and presentation slides and Excel spreadsheets all the time and being able to do that by including everybody in the organization in the process. So I've made it my vision to give the leaders the so-called, I call them the three T's, which is the time, the tools, and the thinking space to be able to truly innovate. And like you say, Ricardo, it's about creating the atmosphere where everyone's included in that process because that's inclusion. Absolutely. And we talk about there's loads of benefits to diversity. It's been well documented by the likes of McKinsey and they've now produced three reports 
Um, there's Scott Page, who's an academic over in the States, um, who's written a great book on this as well. So there's loads of evidence there that, that diversity and inclusion is great for innovation. It's great for problem solving. Um, and it's great for decision making. But from your personal experience and your background of having worked in engineering, um, setting up your true innovation business and the and the methodology that you you work with your clients on, you know, what do you what's the relationship for you between diversity, inclusion, and innovation? I've seen a lot of leaders actually struggling making the time for innovation. It's not that they don't want to do it. It's just one leader that I interviewed recently, he put it absolutely spot on. He said, the customer of today gets in the way of the customer tomorrow. So it's a lot about short-termism in our organizations and businesses nowadays. And how the link between diversity and innovation works for me is um, when you think about innovation, I'm, 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 again, simplifying it possibly, but for me, there's a certain input into the innovation process, which is normally creating new ideas. So when you start with those ideas, it's kind of a no-brainer to think that the more ideas you have, the better it is as an input because you have much more input. And the more varied they are, the better it is. And it's a given fact that the more people you have with more diverse background, the more ideas you get for a given problem. You even, you even actually go in even a step further back when you think about innovation and solving problems with a more diverse group of people you will even identify more problems out there. If it's only you looking at the world, you might get a certain scope of things. But if you talk to two others, three others, four others, and the more diverse it gets, the better it is to get those issues raised and to think about the solution. So one is the input into the innovation process. Then when you think about the throughput doing innovation, having more diverse people and including more people with diverse backgrounds, I think you have many more filters of looking at potential solutions and ideas. You, are, you can be much, much stricter with selecting the right solution or the right two solutions rather than if you have all the same filters that would take you through that funnel. Yeah. Um, for example, in my previous company, we, we created a quarterly innovation panel where we had people sitting down looking at engineering prototypes or, or solutions or proposals and they weren't engineers we had a finance guy there we had somebody from quality we had somebody from hr and they were sitting together and looking at the same problem and the same solution proposal from very different angles and that was very very efficient i have to say and then the third thing then after you have created the ideas you've worked on the ideas the output once you had all the diverse inputs it's <laughs> It's, it's a math game, if you think about it. There's an increased likelihood that the output then is scalable to many more clients than if you didn't have that much of a diverse input. So it, it, it feeds through the whole innovation process, the diversity, and yeah, including diversity into the process makes a lot of sense. I think the biggest risk when we don't have diversity in the process is that we end up with a a very limiting product. And I always remember when the airbag was created. I say I remember because I wasn't around when it was created because I think it was created in the in the 60s. Um, and I think technically I'm 
I'm allowed to call myself a millennial. Um, but um, you know, when the airbag <laughs> was created, um, more women were being injured by airbags going off than men. And that was because it was created by an all-male engineering team and it was developed with the male body um, and frame in mind. And yeah, so that meant that the airbag was such a great innovation for road safety and traveling safely in cars. But ironically, something that was designed to, to protect us and save lives was actually injuring a huge proportion of society. And I think that's because the people involved in developing the airbag, it was you know a very homogenous group. And there's a very funny example of that as well. It's more like a marketing example. Um, years ago, I can't remember how long ago, but there was a North American car manufacturer that developed this beautiful new car and it was really good. And they really looked at the technology and, and making, making a difference there. But I think their marketing team wasn't very diverse. They must have been all North Americans, US Americans, nobody speaking Spanish. So they named the product, the car, in a very certain way and then tried to sell it in South America where everybody speaks Spanish and Portuguese. And the word they've given to that car, the name, was actually a swear word. Yeah, yeah. I remember that story, yeah? And I mean, they, all they needed is somebody who speaks Spanish. You could have told them, sorry, but you can't sell that. They didn't sell a single car. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, that, um, that's a no-brainer. I imagine that was a very costly mistake. Absolutely. Financially, they probably put a lot of money into that product development and marketing campaign, but also in terms of their reputation as well. Exactly, mm. exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you've created the true innovation model which is a framework or a model that you use with, with your clients. Can, can you just tell us a bit more about what that model is and, and what goes into it? I'll try to describe it as best I can, um, as you can't see the image of it. But I, as I said before, I'm trying to break things down. Innovation itself is, is such a buzzword and everybody understands something different under it. It's, it's difficult to explain. So for me, the true innovation model explains what innovation is and what affects innovation. There are two parts to it. One part is what I call the innovation engine, which consists of creating ideas and then converting ideas. So you cannot have only one. If you have great ideas, but you don't convert them, you'll never have innovation. If you're really good at converting ideas, but you never have ideas, you're not creating innovation. So the formula is ideas multiplied by conversion equals innovation. If one of the two parts is zero, you don't get innovation. So the idea generation and conversion is this engine that rotates very, very quickly, ideally, because that generates ideas, converts them, generates ideas. This is doing innovation. But this engine isn't suspended in an in a vacuum. There's this, in every organization, there's a surrounding to it, a context to it. And that consists for me of five parts. And those five parts influence how well this engine spins. So one is leadership of an organization. How engaged, how behind innovation is the leadership? Are they just talking the talk? Are they really walking the walk and supporting the whole organization in doing innovation. Secondly, and this is a, a like a feature that is undervalued the most I find now with my research that I'm doing is communication. How does the business communicate? 
how do people within the business communicate with each other? Is it always up or is it also across? Or are you talking only in your silo? Is the communication from the business only top down or also bottom up? Thirdly, networking. We all talk about individual networking. Yeah, I'm networking with you on LinkedIn or somebody else networks at an, at an event or so. But I think a strong internal network within an organization enables people to take decisions much, much quicker to also get information much, much quicker or help much, much quicker. So a strong internal network then increased by strong external networks as well will really help you define innovation and helping create new ideas. To implement all of that, you need a really good change management system. If you have all those ideas and you create innovation, but you cannot implement it within your organization, how you run your business, that slows things down and can actually demotivate strongly. And then last but definitely not least is what I call culture, the organizational culture and how that influences doing innovation. There's quite a lot of hidden, hidden items within culture, it's almost like this iceberg model. Most of the culture you can't really see because it's underwater, but it influences everything we do every single day. So all of that together, those five surrounding um, attributes influence how quickly our innovation motor, idea generation, idea conversion can spin or cannot spin. Does that make sense? Yeah. The, I mean, the reason why I love your model is because you're, you're thinking about those five critical attributes that, that, that allow the motor to spin. Because when I've talked to, uh, people in the past about innovation or I've worked in big companies where we go along to innovation workshops and creativity workshops. It's it's all about how many post-it notes you can stick, stick up on and the wall. It's not really about the kind of the atmosphere or the environment that you create exactly. to allow innovation. Because that is only generating ideas, but you still have to convert them. Yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah, I, I can totally understand with your engineering background how you arrived <laughs> at the, uh, you know, you, you've got the, the motor spinning, but then you need to have the actual, I suppose, the like the, you know, yeah, the exactly. chassis. Yeah. 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 So um, you talked about culture because actually so much of what you've talked about in your true innovation model can be applied to diversity and inclusion as well. So in my book, Inclusive Growth, um, my first chapter is Clarity, uh, which is all about how, senior leaders need to be walking the talk to demonstrate why diversity and inclusion is important to the future success of an organization. And it's not just a box ticking exercise that you should be doing. Um, can we do a bit more of a deep dive in culture? Because I, I, I wrote a chapter in my book on culture. So it's of particular interest for me when it comes to diversity and inclusion. I mean, so how do you define culture um, and how does culture affect innovation in organizations? Yeah, the culture bit is the tricky one. How do you define culture? I mean, when you think of culture, the first thing that pops at least into my mind, but possibly also quite quite a few of your, your listeners, we're talking about nations or peoples. Like there's the distinct, what I hear often is this distinct German culture. Oh, that's the German in you coming out, Ricardo. Where I hear that because I'm very, very focused and then like going to the point. And sometimes people might con 
see me as being a little bit rude, but I'm just direct. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's it's if you think about that, it's about the behavior of a group of people for me. That is what culture is. How they behave and why they behave, how they behave. And also I think it was in your book as well, you have you refer to the shine model, the three tiered shine model, where you yeah. where the base level is basic assumptions that people make. So you can't even necessarily talk about them because they're just assumptions. They're just there. Then a step up are the values that are maybe a little bit more tangible than the assumptions, but they all materialize in those artifacts within yes. an organization. Yeah. So I hope I described that the right way. But, but this is really what a culture is. Quite a lot of it, as I said before, is like under the surface of the water, like the iceberg. And it's about behavior and feelings of people. So it's really, really tricky to define that. You can understand it when you're more submerged within it. So a new starter to an organization will struggle in the beginning seeing that cultural bit. They will learn as they progress within the company. But they will see stuff like, and they will, they, they will pick up notes, like when somebody's talking about the director in the corner office, and the corner office is the biggest office in the whole building, that's an artifact. That means something. Or what I realized in one of my previous companies, I opted out of the car scheme. And instead of having a big BMW, I came with my Prius, which is a hybrid car. I love hybrids. I'm saving a hell lot of money on that. But as a director of the business, coming in with a hybrid, with a Prius, I got some looks on that. And that is also a manifestation <laughs> of the culture, if you think about it. yeah. But who, who cares what car I drive? But they seem to have cared which was interesting to see. So, but how does that affect innovation? Um, if you think about it, we're labeling cultures quite a lot. If we're labeling it, as I said, the German culture or the, the open cultures, we, we label sometimes toxic cultures. For innovation, there is unfortunately not one size fits all. You always have to see the context of the organization, how it works. Generally, if I had to generalize, I would say that an open culture, especially when it comes down to generating ideas, is much, much more efficient. Including people to generate those new ideas is much, much more efficient. But you also have to have a culture that is driven to then convert those ideas into actual innovation, as I said before, converting those ideas. So if you're only open-minded and, oh, everybody come in, let's have a huddle and talk about stuff, that's good at coming up with ideas but you still have to drive that home and do something with it. So a very well-balanced culture, I think, is what you will need, depending on the situation you're in. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, and I like what you say about how, I suppose, being more inclusive culturally will help you innovate. And, you know, we, we, hear, we hear people talk about things like failing fast, failing forwards as a culture, you know, and yeah, when when I before I set up my own diversity and inclusion consultancy, I worked within uh, user experience and design in technology, uh, and we we talked a lot and we did a lot about innovation. Uh, and the creative director that I worked for, you know, was great at fostering that environment. You know, he said he would say things like, you know, there's no such thing as failure great things come out of failures. We we would work in a very agile way. We would work in a rapid way. We would put prototypes together because only by working in that fashion could we learn. You know, it was more important to learn what didn't work 
rather than play it safe, be cautious to try and find the one thing that did work. I mean, what, what are some of the successes that you're seeing from from organizations that are embracing innovation and creating those innovation innovative cultures? Well, in my two previous companies that I worked for that you mentioned earlier, quite a lot. If you, this is also how I created the model that I talked before with the experience that I have, because a lot of what we did with, for example, Future Thinking, the program, was a lot of bringing leaders together and developing them as leaders, bringing them together to network stronger so it's shorter ways for them to talk. So the, the outputs were often more motivated people, higher retention rate for key talent, but then also new ideas that were not even on the radar of the business before and developing those and cycle times for product development going down because you have more people that actually flag up potential difficulties early on the process when it's not super expensive, when you can change it much quicker. So all these benefits and many, many more, also the perception of you as a business to potential employees and to clients and to customers of being an innovative business, that doesn't hurt at all, rather the contrary. Yeah. So th this is, of course, the Inclusive Growth Show. What does inclusive growth mean to you, particularly when it relates to innovation? Yeah, being me, I've taken, I've taken the term part again, um, inclusive and growth. So what does growth mean? <laughs> growth can be for me personally in my development, but also again for an organization, I wouldn't exclude one or the other. So I would, I would take both of those aspects. And then inclusive... I didn't have to look in the dictionary how it's defined, but if you think about the word, it is some, it's letting somebody partake. And that means it's an active, it's an action you have to take. It's not something that happens by itself. So you have to invite somebody in. So inclusive growth together is really letting people participate in your personal journey and in your organization's journey. It's not just because somebody is in a different function they cannot partake in your function's development and in your function's growth and in your business growth because everybody works together on the growth of the business. I, I just want to put a word of caution in there, though. Inclusivity helps a lot at generating ideas, as I said before. We have to find a way of also then converting that into outputs. Only having inputs isn't enough. How does inclusion really drive the outputs as well? And that's what I mentioned earlier with having those filters and getting the bad ideas out of the system earlier on and flagging up difficulties that might come down the line with customers. So this is the benefit, again, how inclusion can increase that inclusive growth. Excellent. Thanks, Ricardo. Um, so before we go, uh, I know that you have been innovating uh, within your own company. I wouldn't expect anything less, uh, to be honest. <laughs> and you've created your true innovation scorecard. Now, what is what is the scorecard? And if somebody's interested in using it, how do they get their hands on it? Okay, thank you, Toby. Um, first of all, one bit of, of innovation that I would like to share anyways is also 
plan in, actively plan in thinking time. What I've done since I've started the business is putting an hour, two hours a week aside that are fixed in my calendar. They are in my outlook that are called thinking time and I won't let anybody in there. That's me sitting down with a cup of tea or coffee and thinking. This is also how I created that scorecard because I was thinking, how do I actually add value to somebody who wants to talk to me about innovation? So I've taken the model that I've described earlier with the two bits in the middle, the engine, and then the five surrounding aspects influencing the context. And I've created the scorecard that actually assesses where you assess your organization based on that model and how your organization performs against that model. So you will get, you're investing between seven and 10 minutes on average into 18 questions. And the immediate output will be you getting a score for each one of those categories that will tell you you're really, really good at generating ideas, but your conversion is not really good. And that then enables us to pick up on those topics and really tailor a program that helps you be more innovative according to the model, to the individual needs that you will have as a business. And you can find that scorecard very easily on my website, which is www.true-innovation.co.uk. And uh, if somebody does do the scorecard, they also get a glossy report, don't they, sent to them? So It might not be glossy. It's a very fact-based one. I'll reply in an email. So you get an actual report automatically generated by the, by the scorecard yeah. itself. And I'll pick that up and, and go into a little bit more detail in an email following up. And I also display your results in a, an additional, what I call a radar chart, like a spider diagram, yeah. where you can see it also visually a little bit better than just the scores itself. That's cool. But the, the report is really useful because somebody can take that away and, and start to circulate it amongst their colleagues as well, which is a, a really helpful resource to have. Absolutely. And the thing is, I think the real benefit there is if you have the feeling you're not that great at being innovative as an organization, this will help you pinpoint exactly which part of the innovation cycle and process you are not extremely good at. It's not just overall innovation you're not good, but it tells you, well, your communication could be better or your idea generation could be better or you're struggling with networking. Brilliant. Ricardo, thank you ever so much for joining me on this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. Um, as always, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and particularly being able to, to make the linkages between um, great innovation and uh, all the benefits that an organization gets from being diverse and inclusive. Um, and thank you for tuning into this episode and, and listening to Ricardo and me in conversation. Uh, if you want to get hold of Ricardo, uh, please do go to his website and contact him through his website. Um, until next time, I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk